Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Indie Football Podcast. I am Ed Melling, uh, sports editor of The Independent, and uh, for your pleasure, host of the Indie Football Podcast, uh, where today I have two accomplices, but uh, one is a debutant, the other, a grizzled veteran uh, who looks like it today, recovering from a, a serious dose of man flu last week. Here's Miguel Delaney. Thanks. Worse than man flu. Chest infection. A chest infection. Yeah, so. um, severe yeah. issues uh, in the bronchial region for Miguel, yeah. but he's, he's overcome that to attend the North London derby. How was that? Perseverity. Uh, Spurs very good. Yeah. Arsenal and um, Lacazette were not. Ooh. Singling out Lacazette already. We will get into more depth on that. Uh, before I welcome to my right, how, how do you like the word journeyman or not? Nomadic. Well, grizzled veteran. Grizzled. Said that for <laughs> Another for grizzled Miguel. veteran. I yeah. thought you were talking about me. No, so no, no, no. I'm quite uh, relieved that it wasn't. Handsome journeyman striker, uh, <laughs> retired uh, low league pro, Martin Gritton. Martin, hello. Hello, Ed. He prefers grits. Um, grits. Watermelon, grits chicken, and grits for today. Mm. Um, you're basically uh, here to provide the more sane angle to whatever <laughs> Miguel says. Um, and I think we should start at the beginning of the weekend, the big game that Miguel was at, which was um, pretty wet. Uh, I actually didn't notice it while I was in my covered press seat. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> didn't see, didn't see the rain. Was, didn't Me get watching wet, it on crucial. TV, it obviously yeah. looked absolutely soaking. Um, first half was even-ish. And Arsenal, I thought towards the end of the half, kind of had a few good openings. Yeah. But the second half was one-way traffic. Yeah, Wenger came out afterwards and said... Um, that. Arsenal could have had the game won by half-time, which didn't really see that myself. But it was a bit of an odd game, and actually like the match at White Hart Lane last year. And I thought Spurs were a better team for the first half, but in a kind of a, in a traditional sense of it, doing anything. And then from half-time, they just completely upped it. And it isn't an exaggeration to say it could have been about 7-0 at one point. They Do you think there's anything in the fact that they, they did that against Liverpool as well? The second half, mm-hmm. it was pretty much one-way traffic. They, had a lot, they made a lot of chances late on. Um, obviously, in that game... Perhaps they only got the draw because of a couple of curious decisions, that's say. But yeah. why do you think Spurs are coming on so strong in the second half of these big games? Uh, I'd, say, I'd be honest, I'd say that this is almost more tactical, especially the way... Because in the first half, you could see they had that one chance for Kane quite late on. It was from a deep cross. And it was as if kind of Pochettino suddenly realised, hang on, these are sitting back too far. Try more of these crosses. Because then that's what they kept doing for the first 10 minutes of the second half. Actually, on that grits, as a man has been in, in a mm. similar position to Harry Kane many times, what, what, <laughs> what do you think was the, uh, the goal he scored compared to actually the one he missed? Uh, well, I mean, to be honest, uh, I think the, his finishing throughout the season is, is kind of... Um, his strength at Wembley mm. is, is kind of more profound when he's had the guys supplying the bo- decent balls into yeah. him. So that always makes a, the, the difference. I don't know. I mean, to be honest, the, the chances that he misses, he's a, a few and far between at the minute. Um, mm. uh, in terms of... Well, I, I'm i not sure. I mean, what, as you were there, who, how, how did he play with the guys that were supplying to him? Um, 
he was he, like, I mean it's, it's typical Kane Link, link up play was decent um, I, I thought to do I mean the goal he scored was actually I thought was the hardest chance well, maybe, the, maybe not the hardest but it was the one where he had basically his link up play is better than people realise yeah. a lot better than people realise uh, the header I mean it's a great goal Yeah, uh, I, I, I do I think if you're a bigger striker you know like um, like myself at a very low level or grits at a much <laughs> higher level um <laughs> You want to be getting those crosses from mm. deep, uh, closer to goal. You want to be kind of seven, eight, nine yards out because the keeper's mm. rooted a lot of the time. And then basically all you're doing is trying to steer it, which is what he does. That's it. And mm. check. I'd, I'd say that that's something that's perhaps been more prominent this season. Check's inability to come out and, mm. and really be able to affect anything in that space between the defenders and him. It's, it's an increasing storyline. Yeah, story perhaps about. he seems a little bit more rooted. And I'd perhaps there's a hesitancy on his part to come out further mm. you know um, I'm not a kind of uh, goalkeeper coach but to, in terms yeah. of that space with if you're not sure of where your centre halves are going to do then you're probably more more comfortable staying closer to your line so you know well, to actually, give yourself a better chance is that something you you would exploit as a, I mean is it something you'd pick up on a striker that kind of gap between indecision the, definitely yeah. but you would just kind of know that defenders didn't want those balls in behind them mm. and I'd say I'd, I'd be interested to know what it was like in terms of the atmosphere there so what's the split how many away tickets do Arsenal get to that? Uh, less they, than they, t- in, they, in the league it's less than 10% yeah, they, they do I mean obviously because of the size of the stadium they, they get a sizeable uh, and mental fans going but again the, the, uh, the flip side of that is just so many Spurs fans and like I'd probably I'd say it's probably about I mean I need to look at the numbers it's probably about 6,000 I guess I'd say FA Cup you do get 10% yeah. allocation but that is bigger than the league so yeah. you, you'd have to estimate between five and 6,000 they seem they seem more comfortable there though. Now I, th- I went yeah. to watch a Newport game which obviously wasn't indicative of, of their league form mm. but there was just like a I think the more at the time they get on that pitch, and there was, you know, they had a ridiculously strong yeah. bench. They had Ericsson and Kane and, and Deli Ali on the bench. But um, just even the way that they kind of play football there now, it seems a little bit more home to them. Uh, yeah. they, they, they seem to know the dimension of the pitch. When you talk about those balls in behind, it's it's repetition, isn't it? When, you, when you've got players that are used to playing, I think that's when Pochettino's had some of his strongest... Um, performances is when he's been able to play the same team five or six, seven, yeah, eight, yeah. nine, ten times. Well, in playing a row. On, a, on a tight field. You know, Harry Kane knows he can stay in and around the box and basically any chance for him is scorable. Whereas on that Wembley field, I do feel like he does a lot more in the channels. I do feel mm. like you saw him, um, I, I remember it especially in the first half, he was going into the corners a lot, mm. picking up the ball. But that was when I was impressed with his, his link-up play because he's getting the ball and then he's feeding it back to players who are in good positions. You know, then the ball comes back with Ericsson in the middle. They can stretch the field much better. And when you're playing at someone like Wembley and you are a better team than the mm. opposition, You've got to use the full width. You've got to stretch the play because all you're trying to do essentially is find gaps. Um, the Petacek stuff is interesting because I have heard some more criticism of him mm. recently. But I do wonder if it's... Shkodra Mustafi is, is many things. He's actually quite a decent footballer with the ball at his feet, etc., etc. Not a good communicator. And that was said when yeah. he was at Valencia as well. Yeah. And you do wonder you know, how much that plays into it. Yes, okay, even if there was some slight physical decline mm. in Czech or whatever then how much of that comes into the lack of communication between, you know, all you need is a little of uncertainty. You don't even need a full breakdown of communication. It's a half second of uncertainty yeah. Yeah. and it's a, an opportunity, right. especially with someone like Kane. I think we discussed this in the, on here before, but and something I don't want to write about, but the amount of centre-halves to go to Arsenal now and they actually look quite decent and then and actually start off quite well. I think within two or three months, just kind of like, a bit suspect this, think we need a replacement soon. And I think he signed something like, 31 and a half since time at uh, Arsenal Bank. Is that right? Something, something, something like, but, but more of them have been in the last 
um, 10 years was for obvious reasons given who used to be there but even it's happened so often do you remember even when kind of um, when Holding first broke through or Callum Chambers the talk initially was this looks good for these guys and then and now they're almost without being too harsh it sometimes feels like they're Joe characters of the club well, it's just the rotation isn't it, that it like unless you're going to settle in and how long does it take to become a recognised centre half it's probably yeah a few solid seasons yeah. without, you know, and the, the no mistakes. conspicuous errors. Yeah, well, this is the thing, the mistakes they're making just look a little bit schoolboy, you know, mm-hmm. when they're passing square passes that are just behind people or just, uh, but that's common of every yeah. playing league, like Otamendi on Saturday, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to that, you know. I don't think in terms of distribution, there isn't great, I mean, mm-hmm. Jonathan, uh, lose piece, you know, about the Man United centre-halves, you know, yeah, there's yeah, not yeah. that yeah. distribution of these, all the centre-halves in the league has been suspect this year. Mm. People can say that it's because of the sitting midfielder not doing enough to protect them, but, you know, there is a, there's a duty of care on the ball that I don't think that, uh, a lot of them are taking. Well, really? I, guess, yeah. I guess we can talk about that game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it kind of closed out the weekend um, with the biggest surprise result, you'd have to say. Newcastle beat Man United 1-0. We had uh, Johnny Lou there, as you said, Grits, um, and Martin Hardy. Man United looked, Miguel, like a bad Jose Mourinho team. Yeah. Oh, it's like it, everything we always say about Mourinho, all the criticisms that we seem particularly borne out by this game, in that, especially compared to other top teams, what what's the attacking plan here? Other than basically, you know, get get the ball to one of our stars, they'll they'll surely come up with something at some point. And that was obviously the criticism of Chelsea and when it really went wrong. Um, and it really stood it stood it yes. I mean, again, they they might have done enough to to win the game, especially had Sanchez scored that chance. But again, that's going to happen if you have, you know, a few hundred million pounds worth of talent in the team. The the the, the issue should be that their their abilities are maximised, which doesn't seem to be happening going forward. I think if he scores that goal, and I think, well, if they take one of those other one of ten chances that they had mm. in the second half I think this would have been papered over the cracks and just said it's yeah. a tough point for Mourinho that's what we would have been saying about it now you know not rather than it, it, it being a glaring like a terrible result for him mm. you know and on paper because everyone kind of digs up his his performances there in the past um, and Newcastle it, it almost felt like a bit of an FA Cup game for them where they were just like kind of we're the underdogs we were expected pumped, yeah. you know that's it and there was that real atmosphere and I'd imagine St James's Park is a particularly intimidating place to go for Man United the, anyway the thing about it was after the game was Mourinho was speaking like he was when Bradford beat Chelsea in the FA Cup in 2014-15 and he was out like you, you, I think with John Bruin that, that, that tweet yeah. you wouldn't be surprised to see Mourinho going into the Newcastle dressing room after congratulating him <laughs> on their, their spirited display <laughs> you know, like, two things one as a player right there's so apparently Jose's never won at St James's right? Right. So something they kept mentioning does that actually mean anything does that actually mean anything yeah it does it does if you've got something in your head I, I it worked both ways for me I I love playing at, at grounds where you knew the fans were going to get in their backs after mm. 20 minutes if you just kept it tight. Right. Um, ironically, it, it was at Chesterfield, we'd go and play there and because of the expectation, we were always a big club trying to get out of the League 2 or whatever. We'd go there when I was at Torquay or Macclesfield or smaller teams, mm. never expected anything. We'd dig in and then we'd always end up beating them right. doing really well. Ended up signing for Chesterfield and going mm. there and going, oh God, these guys <laughs> these guys will yeah. get out the first 20 minutes of fans are going to be yeah. on our backs. Yeah. And it's funny the way that I suppose I associated it with that ground, but definitely on the other side of things, if there's a bit of a hoodoo, I mean, you look at that Man United team, how many of them are kind of are aware of that record yeah, yeah, of thinking exactly. that and most of them have probably been there in, in other guises but it definitely plays in your mind if you're looking for an excuse and a lot of players are a lot mm. of managers are then they'd look at something like that well, they mentioned that a lot 
you know, what's probably more pertinent is it's Rafa versus Jose. Yeah. And mm. they have had a lot of memorable clashes. Rafa probably does have a good idea of how to stop Mourinho teams, um, which he did again. Jamal Aceles, the Newcastle captain, uh, pretty scathing yeah. of, of Chris well, Moore. Just before we get into that, what, how would you have described Benitez's formation yesterday, actually? What, what, what? Um, well, he, he always does these kind of hybrids. He did it. With this, because well, well, we better say, he's actually, in, in this sense, it feels like he's evolved more than Mourinho. He's more innovative now. Because Mourinho's, like, again, and I suppose with the whole Pogba debate, same old four, kind of dullish 4 2 3 1 where it's, where it's all rigid. I mean, if Mourinho had De Bruyne in now, where would he have him? That's right well, wing. He'd play him probably on the right, I yeah. guess. I, I don't I'm think. Berating him for not tracking back. This is it was, it's come up with Pogba before. I covered it extensively during the Euros because it was a big like thing in L'Equipe every day about the France team was Pogba can basically only play in a certain role in midfield. Yeah. You know, and he struggles whenever he's put in an uncomfortable role. And it happened again. He's playing in a two and he and it doesn't quite work. For whatever reason, they've got him alongside Matic, who should be, you'd guess, the perfect foil for him in mm. midfield in terms mm. of someone who's probably just gonna hang back and let him. Matic looks knackered though, yeah. He does, he does, but at least he's a safety blanket. Yeah. You know, but Pogba basically needs to play in the left of a midfield triangle, which is kind of the old Frank Lampard role at Chelsea that Mourinho had before. Mm. Mourinho could use him there, but I think he is caught between the desire to have these extra attacking players, of which he's got tons of good attacking players. He wants to have those four in front of Pogba, mm. and I just don't think they can. If you're playing two, if he's playing as a two and the four in front of him aren't performing, so like uh, particularly away from home, say you are under the cost a little bit or not getting the ball, it's a bit bitty. The two wide players become inert, basically. Yeah. So you're playing with nine, essentially, unless you can get the ball to them. Yeah. So then the two centre-mids are just completely exposed. Mm. And that's when, you know, Matic, he can mop up as much as he can there, but you, you, you know, you're only going to be dealing with scraps. And then, as you said, how are you going to find Pogba? Because yeah. then they can just flood the midfield, which is kind of, they had a lot of bodies in that yeah. area of the pitch, didn't they? Actually, Ray Houghton made a good point yesterday on the radio that, he said he, something he keeps spotting with Maric is that he keeps dropping really, really far back. And so when he gets the ball, then he doesn't actually have the thrust to take it forward, which is one reason that United are so, are so slow. Mm. And by the time he gets to Pogba as well, that they suddenly did kind of massed defences or kind of you know, massed numbers in front of them. Well, as, as Johnny wrote in his piece from the game, he said that creative midfielders rely on service from the back four. And Smalling and Jones kept just putting it wide every time to the fullback. Pogba only got the ball six times from Smalling and Jones all game. Well, I, I'm, I'm actually, given that centre-half, maybe more than anything, is such a Mourinho position, because like the way he builds his teams, I'm surprised he hasn't gone for more, more players there. Right, I mean, it yeah. doesn't look like Smalling's going to survive. No, I want to And how many players are there, there that you would go for well, in this position? Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't quite know what his, what his dream centre-half would be. Because everyone, you know, preached about Van Dijk and everyone wanted him because perhaps he was just ticked a lot of boxes. Yeah. They never seemed well, interested. Well, in well actually, I do. I, want, I mean, there's all this talk in the game at the moment, and Chiellini touched on it last week with the interview with Adam Crafton that um, the modern centre half doesn't. The modern centre half actually isn't a traditional centre half anymore. Sorry, the the best centre half in the world say the the ideal, the modern ideal, just doesn't kind of isn't as robust as it used to be. That now ball playing is such a huge part of it. And you do wonder, that, I mean, that's, is that really Mourinho's ideal of a centre-half? Like well, he, he'd prefer the old, the old style. Of all the guys playing now at the top level, probably it's, it's probably someone like Diego Godin yeah. more than anyone else, isn't it? Like, I can't think, 
And the thing with Godin, obviously, is he has been made to look better by a brilliant system mm. uh, at Letico. Mm. But that's the sort of guy that Jose's always liked. You know, his best Chelsea teams were John Terry and Ricardo Carvalho, yeah. which weren't... You know, Carvalho was good at kind of sweeping things up and he was better on the ball than Terry, I think it's fair to say. But neither of them were Beckenbauer. Yeah, but Terry was a great distributor. I thought Terry had, you know, yeah. he's, he's a good pass for a ball. But to you know, his limitations were perhaps people always used to go on about pace, but yeah. he, he was a pretty much complete centre half, wasn't he? Because he yeah. did have his commitment in both boxes, his he, um, he, leadership. He did have crisp pass. Nice. Remember, yeah, I remember he was when tidy. Was, yeah, yeah. He's tidy, and those, as you say, the centre halves, the Carvalho role, the kind of, you know, if you can get like a Puyol or someone who has that that energy but mm. also just is an infectiousness you know Louise has shown that many times over mm. his career but consistently perhaps it's just yeah. been a bit lacking for Chelsea yeah. but uh, you know he's still won he's still won an awful lot with him and, and you mm. know he's been a, he's had a great career but yeah it's find, finding that right balance I, I, the centre-halves in the league at the minute you know like even what would be the perfect player there you know like Philip Lamb you know yeah. when, uh, when he just because he just plays football there if you're good enough at football you don't necessarily have to have the other yeah. attributes about bullying people are, but it's when you're playing against when you're playing against big physical teams in the Premier League you need to defend the six I mean, I mean, it is like who would you if, when, you, when you're looking at those teams or whatever, say you're in the Newcastle team yesterday or whatever would you fear as a striker going up against Smalling and Jones? That way, you think I'm going to I'm going to be in for do, it here. Do you know what you you probably just think when are they going to make a mistake and how am I going to R- capitalise on it? Really, and just yeah. wait for them to because I mean the one that's the one thing De Gea never shows uh, any sort of signs of being affected by how poor his front <laughs> defenders are, which is a testament. That's to quite him. telling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, just I mean his like complete. Uh, I'd, I'd say he's is as good as you'll ever see a goalkeeper in this. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously we've seen shades of it from. Uh, um, uh, Spurs, uh, Lloris, yeah, yeah. we should, you know, he's he's had great seasons. Same because he's, he's, I would compare them in terms of stature and the sort mm. of goalkeepers that they are, you know, like in terms of what, a 6 2, yeah, but just yeah. more about the range of their ability to, um, you know, claw things out the top corner. Yeah, yeah. I've never the, seen a keeper as quick off his line as Lloris, mm. that's what I really like about him. I think if you're especially in a team that plays a kind of a high line a lot of the time, it's so important to have a guy that you can rely on to kind of shut down one on one situations. and he does that more than De Gea, obviously, because of the way the team's say, yeah, uh, laid yeah. out. But those two obviously stand out as yep. as top, top goalkeepers. Um, De Gea, again, I thought was, was excellent against Newcastle. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. As, as we mentioned, Jamal Lascelles took a few shots at Chris Smalling and, and Phil Jones said that he noticed they were making a lot of mistakes giving the ball away, kind of like you said, Chris. You've know, you just got to wait for that to happen yeah, yeah. because they're giving you back possession in dangerous areas. Um what do we think, you know, this summer, considering that Mourinho has already said that he isn't necessarily going to spend a lot of money on, a, on the attack, do we think that's going to be a defensive remodelling, rebuild? Or is it, you know, just waiting for Eric to come back from injury and perhaps add one more? Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the big thing. That, and it's easy to forget because he's been out so often this season. But Baye is a, a different level to the rest of the United's in their halves. Yeah. So they do miss him. Um, but United's transfer business in general, right through from November... Basically, they, it seems as if Mourinho changes every three weeks and almost in response to results, um, which is actually partly why, why they went and got Sanchez. Because um, even now, I think for some reason, he doesn't want a playmaker. But yeah, I, 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 it's not, at the moment, it's not on a, or hasn't been on his list of priorities. But I think as the season goes on and we get closer to summer, I think he will look to a centre-half. 
bring bring Johnny Evans home. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Johnny he, Evans is he, not far off from Mourinho's centre back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's be honest. I was thinking, well, if he gets rid of that, I'd say Ed, when you talk about remodelling, it would be more about getting rid of the players that he doesn't want. He seems to be more focused on that, doesn't he? He'd rather yeah. have a. Uh, working on a skeleton crew as a back yeah, four yeah. and not have the players around that he doesn't want and then just you know bringing in the right ones but of course you know that that itself is a dangerous yeah, game yeah, exactly. because you're just being yeah. um, um, elsewhere uh, we saw Man City run right again Aguero four goals so against Leicester you see much of that? I was on my way back from um, Wembley but watched all the goals Man City so, yeah I saw the goals on um, saw the goals on match of the day what, last night what the Bruyne pass did oh. you think was better? Actually, I think I prefer the second one. Yeah, the second, second one. one. Yeah. Unbelievable, because they've got that camera angle from behind yeah, it. Yeah. You just thread it through. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's actually, it, it's his repertoire of passes, actually. And sometimes it, it does just feel as if he's out there sometimes. What A can I try, what can I try today? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, but it's the, way, the weight of the passes, isn't it? It's the yeah. kind of the pass appreciation. I remember when I first started, I was like kind of come out of non-league and playing at Plymouth. We had this guy who, who was the best passer in mm. League Two, believe it or not, it was quite an accolade no. at the time. Um, <laughs> Jason, oh, what was his surname? Jason Bent? No, he'd come from, uh, he was, he'd come from like Shrewsbury. He was a, he was a brilliant player. So anyway, mm. great range of passing and he just like, literally took one look at me and he was like, when you have zero pass appreciation, I was like, what are you talking about? Because I'd literally come out of non-league so you yeah. could do it into, you had loads of time, space to get it on your right foot to do everything and just basically as you develop as a player after about 10 years I was like I know exactly what he's talking about someone passing it to your strong foot where you want it yeah. at the right pace so you can hit it first time you still look at a lot of the Premier League players you're like you know the best ones are the ones that be able to deal with the rubbish that they're given and then mm. like you say Lampard players that yeah. just their first touch is always where they want to put it and, yeah. and the, they're always four steps ahead De Bruyne's like a kind of hybrid and it's actually of that. It's, it's probably something that's underappreciated maybe I mean the higher the level you go up to someone like De Bruyne level it's not just about the quality of the pass, but then the extra, extra level of stuff they have to compute, like, mm. you know, the timing of his run, how he likes to, how that player particularly likes to receive the ball. A hundred mile an hour as well. Yeah. And it's like, if you look at it, they only really take two touches. They'll set themselves and pass it. Yeah. And the lowly, you always think, when you watch your back, you're like, oh, I, I did that in two touches. You've taken four or something. You know, it's always, yeah. Jason Peake was the player. It's come right. back but to me. The thing, with, the thing with De Bruyne, <laughs> every, yeah, part, every part of his foot can make an insane pass. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of players, like everyone can play a pass for the outside of their boot, but it's not necessarily going to be the most accurate or the most powerful, mm. but he kind of, it doesn't matter. It's, it's yeah. a flick almost, and he can send it 40 yards with the outside of his wrong foot, yeah. and it goes straight to the and player. And the people he's given them the balls to as well, like, you know, apart from Sterling's miss the other week, you know, those guys are just just dispatching it with, yeah. with absolute ease. I yeah, think yeah. Um, it was nice to see the Liverpool front two almost look a little bit more settled because of the way Firmino and Salah, it's almost like they've taken a, a few of the players out of the way that would have got an extra touch on the ball. Oh, really? Do you reckon? Yeah. I don't know. I just think they seem to have a really nice partnership. But yeah. going, and obviously, it's easy to say that when they both assisted each other's goals, but yeah. they were really nice assists and the, the speed and tempo which way they, they moved the ball. Do, do you think there is an argument that Coutinho maybe slowed them down? Or well, I, I, no, I think he because he was always part of the, the, you know, the attack yeah. where he was, you know, integral to that. But by taking them out, you're not necessarily inhibiting how well those two players are partnership. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're great to watch. And Firmino, for me, is becoming you know one of the, the you know the best strikers or best yeah. players in the league to watch because you yeah. see him getting better and better. They'll still miss Coutinho, I think, in the games where they come up against a massed defensive line mm. and you're trying to pick a hole because they're good at running beyond teams, but not, so you know there will be times when you need the perfect pass yeah. and they've got you know one fewer guy in midfield now who can play the perfect pass. Mm. Um, they did win at the weekend. Obviously, Spurs won as well. So the top four stays the same. 
We've got Chelsea. Tonight. Liverpool and Spurs hunting them down. Yeah, Chelsea, if they win tonight, which you're going to be at yeah. against West Brom, uh, you expect them to win that? I mean, they obviously aren't oh, geez, enjoying the greatest I mean, times, <laughs> but it is rock bottom West Brom. I Conte apparently called them all in before training on, what was it, Friday when he finally had them back after two days off and he didn't go on an angry rant but he did, you know, an assertive Conte rant and I think he said something a lot, this isn't a verbatim but something along the bullshit stops now um, which is something Fergie, I think, said to United yeah. you, know, you know, you saw he's going like, kinda, like say in 96-97 when they went to that room and they beaten 5-0, 6-3 and then he kind of has to call him for something similar. But yeah, I, I think there has to be a response. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're in a bad run, Grits, you're tired after the festive period, which has been obviously absurdly overpacked with football mm. having one extra day off might not seem like much but is it mm. a big deal let's see it yeah having having that extra time off is great but the problem is that there's a couple of schools of thought isn't there when teams aren't doing well you just we would get dragged in and do extra training because right. it would almost make you go i don't want to be in this position again because i can't you need to get out physically of this, yeah, can't yeah. Get out of it and even when you turn up on the pitch after having two or three games in a week and um, just as you say over the christmas period you'd be very, very mindful of that, that mm. things aren't going to get easy. I mean, Paul Sturrock was a, a great exponent of that, which just kind of dr- just absolutely hammers. When we win a game, we'd be more relieved to win it than actually yeah. pleased that we'd won, just because yeah. you're like, I might get a day off this week or it <laughs> might be easy. But it was good because yeah. he made you better players, but it was relentless. I don't, I'd say Conte is a, you know, he's a hard taskmaster, but I'd, the bigger problem for Chelsea is the fact that even if they are doing well and if they put it to bed, all it takes is one or two things to go wrong. And mm. then just, it's like pulling the pin on it, isn't it? Yeah. It's just like everyone will start looking at each other and all the old kind of, if there's any anim- animosities or any problems that have happened over the last few weeks, which there have been plenty, yeah. they, they come out and, and people start to blame each other. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was talking to someone close to the squad on, on Saturday morning and they were saying basically like it's, they are, there's a lot of players in there now kind of just, I'm not necessarily, well, bored by some of the kind of tactical work he does. But then again, that's one of those things like, if you're winning, suddenly, oh, I can fully, I can fully appreciate that. Mm. So it depends how it goes. Uh, they're kind of, they, obviously, there's been all these questions about the, uh, the physical work. But they, they did say, despite everything, it's still nothing close to the 2015-16 season when that was kind of, it, it's not quite that bad a Chelsea situation yeah. yet. Well, that was really unravelling. Mm. I mean, that was unravelling. And also, I mean, the speed at which it was unravelling. And the one thing we forget about that, I mean, what Chelsea are fifth now before the West Brom game. Whereas, when by the time Mourinho got sacked that season, they were close to the relegation mm. zone. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of players in that could do better jobs for Conte as well. At the yeah. minute, you know, there's a lot of players that kind of need to step up and and bail him out here because he does feel like a man that's been yeah. to dry a little bit. Yeah, 
No, I, I think he has, for sure. I think you, you hear more of the Chelsea side of the story than you do of Conte's side, which, mm. is, you know, which is fine. And that's actually fairly inevitable in a lot of situations. But if they win tonight, they're back into fourth and Spurs, are, you know, for as, as good a weekend as Spurs have had, mm. they still would end up the weekend I, in, in fifth place. I think Spurs are going to finish second. Who do you think is going to miss out? I mean, Arsenal now five points adrift of fifth. Are we, are we saying they're not going to finish top four? 11 games to go. Yeah, Arsenal. it's hard to make up that many points, uh, right? Arsenal aren't going to do that. So, so who who's mm. going to finish fifth? Uh, see, I mean, up until two weeks ago, you would have said it was the United as a start with City. Because now, well, I wouldn't be too sure about that. I, I it's very tough. It's uh, very tough yeah, to call. I, I, okay, I think at the moment, because Liverpool didn't replace Coutinho and they ha- they might have bod- more so kind of depth issues. I'm going to say United, City, Spurs, uh, Chelsea. Next week, things will be a lot more kind of yeah. transparent because of the Champions League. I think Champions League does dictate. It's a huge influence. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I mean, and for both reasons. For if you're still in it, you take your out of the league. And if you're, if you're not in it anymore, you've got the capacity to, you know, do more in yeah. the league. But also, you know, is it, is it an extra game where you're out of form? It's, it will affect things massively. And there's a yeah. couple of really tasty games yeah, there yeah, for, yeah, the, yeah. for the teams in this top five. We, yeah. Well, actually, we should give that a proper preview. <laughs> Just first before, you know, We've kind of given up talking about the bottom half because it's such a ludicrous situation. There are six and points. Results almost mean nothing. Six <laughs> points between tenth and nineteenth. Mm. So, like, some teams had a good week this week. Some teams had a bad week. Bad week for Crystal Palace. Bad week for Watford. Good week for you know every other team that won basically. Um, so now West Brom are bottom. They are on twenty points. Then Stoke on twenty-five. Southampton twenty-six. Huddersfield, Swansea, Palace twenty-seven. Brighton, Newcastle, 28. West Ham, 30. Watford, 30. Bournemouth, 31. Who's going down? Oh, God. Um, uh, the shorts on the Huddersfield bench yesterday, etc. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, it, you, it could be anyone. It could yeah. be anyone. I think uh, actually, this weekend... Swansea aren't going to go down. Southampton, like, dire. Yeah, okay, I mean, just yeah. so bad. And I, I, think they score. Might, I think they might push the button. Yeah, just I think they might push the button. After. They love him. They love him, but... And they really think he's a good young coach. But there isn't enough coming out of that club at the moment. There really is. Yeah. And you look at teams going there. When you look at Newcastle, like going there, it's actually, you know, it's, it's, there's an intimidating atmosphere. Mm. There's something there for the away team to fear. Um, and Southampton, it seems to be just just, <laughs> just, go, just go and pick up the points. This, this, this is a nice trip just, down just, south, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Not, they, they haven't got that. And, I, you know, and that's mm. no disrespect because they've got some phenomenal players. Mm. Like, I've really enjoyed watching some of the players play this season. But I... Yeah, that was absolutely dire. Because mm. Liverpool just that was a that was a beautiful first half for them. Wasn't yeah, exactly, it? Just yeah, like yeah. An absolute gift. Yeah, completely. Because mm. even I was my, my, one of my mates, a Liverpool fan, and before the game, he was just saying after the United States, I bet, I bet you, I bet you, they they they, they fuck it up today. We're allowed to say that, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll go for it. Um, but then exactly, it could have been a difficult trip again. Within a few minutes, mistake, goal, one 0 and yeah. even the second goal, I was thinking when Firmino played that flicking, and oh, what's he? Oh, brilliant! Yeah. <laughs> like, how does feel? Smashing Bournemouth as well, like, you know, it's teams that uh, Huddersfield brought five defeats in a row or something, six mm. defeats in a row, and but then you win four one. It's as if, yeah, it's bizarre. Actually, it's as if in the bottom half of the moment, form or, or what can be form means absolutely nothing at the moment. You can Southampton. Well, form is literally is if you can put two results together, yeah, that's, that's a bit of form, <laughs> isn't it? Bournemouth and know that that's themselves. What Roy Hodgson said that um, on Friday. He said, you know, it's it's great to get one win, but if you can stick two wins together, suddenly you. Mm. 
flying up the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, crazy. and now yeah. Palace haven't won in four, and then and, and that's they've, lost, it, yeah. they've lost more players. They've got ten players out with long-term injuries, yeah, and they look like relegation it's, favorites. It's just no, no one. And again, we we discussed this before, but there's no space to actually hook yourself and kind of just for a little bit of safety. No. If you have two bad results in a row, like again, in fact, how many teams has happened to them actually, in which they get a run and you think, oh, they're safe now, but then they're back in it. It's happened to West Ham. It's happened to Palace. Yeah, absolutely. it's happened to uh, Southampton. Yeah, um, Brighton. Yeah, yeah, Brighton. Yeah. I mean, Sw- Swansea are now out of the relegation zone. But would it surprise you if they it, came it, back? This to is it, exactly. Yeah. I now. mean, they're, they're unbeaten in five, three of those wins as well. So mm. it's quite a run. Yeah, and then West Brom. We do you remember the one after the January transfer deadline? Mm. We said West Brom have had the best window of the t- any team in the bottom half. Yeah. You feel like Daniel Sturridge should be assigned to keep them up. Mm. They're still on twenty points, which I think is what they came out of. January pretty much so they need to more than double and their if, well, actually, no, if they lose tonight yeah. if they lose tonight they're still 7 points off safety with 11 games to go mm. but tonight you can you can almost see Sturridge and Jay Rodriguez as well when Jay Rodriguez mm. is on form and playing well when they're supplying him because I thought that was a really good signing by West Brom when they is he brought banned him in. yet? Um, I think he well, not banned. he's charged isn't he? oh did he has he, he got charged, charged. Mm. he was charged so he could be out tonight but I know I don't think they've like you know they've, they've charged him but they haven't yeah. Come down with some sort yeah, of yeah, okay. conclusion. But I, I, yeah, I thought that, yeah, as you say, the Sturridge, it's that classic one, the M6 signing, isn't it? It's literally from Liverpool yeah, down yeah. or Manchester down. The West Brom always get brilliant signings because <laughs> yeah, yeah. lads don't want to drive <laughs> any yeah, further yeah. than yeah. the M6. Stoke have benefited from that yeah, as well, like it. the Cheshire crew, basically. It's lovely. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. not think... Um, drive. <laughs> tonight, I mean, we shouldn't go too heavy on tonight because by the time everyone listens to this, it'll probably be old. <laughs> but um, if you're playing against a low-confidence team who have got someone like David Luiz in defence, <laughs> do you go and play Rondon and Sturridge and Try, Rodriguez? Yeah. But then I suppose the flip side is that you suddenly, you, that's, that's an idea, then suddenly you think, okay, we can take these away. Then you leave themselves open and you're 2-0 down within 10 minutes. And that's right? very pards. I mean, yeah. Job done. Thanks. Even more pards is, is the fact that you can't Keeps like Sturridge has to start yeah. just because he's coming on loan and part like you know there's going to be yeah, that conversation. Yeah. Rondon's easier to drop yeah, and he's easier to bring on as an impact player. So I would expect that, but um, mm. yeah, I, I, he's still handy to bring on the Rondon. Cause yeah, he's, you know he's keep handful. it keep it tight for eighty minutes and then chuck him on yeah. at the end see if you can get something. Yeah. Johnny Evans, even header. if you're one nil down, yeah, Johnny <laughs> Evans to win. Right. Mm. Um, Champions League. Yeah, you're going to write us a big yeah. Champions League preview today. Yeah, should be out in about what time is it now? Quarter past eleven. Um, yeah, soon by yeah. lunchtime by lunchtime yeah. how late were you today by the way yeah. weekly update for everyone yeah, it was, grits. Had to, it was about 40 minutes later uh, thanks no, well, it wasn't 40 minutes um, later that so yeah 40 minutes later again uh, that is bollocks um, <laughs> by the way if you're wondering Johnny and Jack not with us Johnny is on the way to Turin he's literally flying as we speak for Juventus Spurs uh, Jack is on the way to Switzerland for Basel Man City Miguel you are tomorrow you're going tomorrow to Madrid is it yeah uh, for Real Madrid versus PSG Mark Critchley, our northern correspondent, is in Portugal for Porto, Liverpool. So it's a big away week. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any point focusing too much on this week's fixtures when we can just talk about the whole... Because it's all going to come into it, yeah. Yeah, the whole knockout round, you know, everything from here on in. So who would you who do you make as the favourites for the whole Champions League right now, as things stand? Barca. Barca. Grit? Yeah, I, I, I fancy City. I really do. Really, yeah? Yeah, I think City could do it. I think they've clicked in terms of every, everything's work, Everything's going for them at the minute on the pitch and just the, the, yeah. the mindset that they have. The league's, what, six games away from winning it? Yeah. So, Injuries. Yeah, well, although one thing, I, they, just as you mentioned there in terms of clicking, they do seem to have clicked on a level as well. In the sense that, so there was so much made of this left-back situation and all that. I get now... 
it's almost one of those Ferguson situations where no matter who he brings into the team, they still function. So, like, you might have had, a few, say, a few doubts just because of his age over Zinchenko, but yet it's, it's all still... Yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, love Zinchenko. He's but you've got a situation there where it's like, okay, like, so City have one obvious floor. They do mm. have an obvious floor at left-back. Most other teams have, like, two or three obvious mm. floors. So, it, okay, if you're good enough to really exploit that. So, if you've got someone... If you've got up against a team with an elite right-sided attacker, mm. so Liverpool, basically, um, who else... Barca, yeah, you know that Messi guy's quite good. Um, Is he? Yeah. Never, never uh, him. If 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 Barca are playing with you know mm. the full front three, then you'd be quite scared. Bayern ish, but otherwise, you know, it's a very small area basically mm. that one team's going to be able to take advantage of. Whereas I think every other team, you can point out multiple yeah. issues that they have. I agree with with Grits. I think City should be favourites because. The, the pressure is off domestically. I know there's an argument whether that's actually yeah. a thing because we've seen it before with Bayern 15 well, points he, clear he did, and Barca 20 points mm. clear or whatever. This, this is something my previews touch on actually that this is a very distorted Champions League or a very split Champions League season because so of the nine or ten favourites without quote-unquote disrespecting Besiktas or all the rest of it, yeah. but they're not going to win it. Um, so but of, the, of, the, of, the nine, of the nine or ten favourites say or, or big clubs in it, um, four of them are running away out their league. Like Barca kind of drop points, but they're still in a very healthy position. Then you've got City, who are fucking are streets clear. Yeah. You've got PSG and Bayern. So then it's, it's, we're in a weird situation where either for, for basically all the clubs bar Juventus, who for, who for once are not running away out their league, either the Champions League is going to be to complete a historic season or else it's going to be a weird, a weird one where the most prestigious prize in football basically saves a bad season. Mm. Uh, and I tell you that what what makes that more relevant, I suppose, is how that affects you. I mean, there was cause remember there was a period around the mid two thousands, and it was really I think I think it was because the Champions League expanded to thirty two teams, and yeah. clubs were clubs and countries actually. Because remember, we saw all the surprises in the World Cup and that they were still adjusting to a bigger football calendar, and it did seem for a while that that suited clubs not in title races like Liverpool, who finished fifth. Milan finished third twice winning it. Real Madrid finished fifth winning it. it. It was almost like they could then save themselves for Europe. And then that changed around 2008 when kind of the, uh, the big clubs kind of started to get more money and were able to build bigger squads. They had a series of clubs winning kind of doubles and trebles out of it, Inter, Barca, United. Um, whereas now, I'm not sure at the moment. Like, there, there's an argument both ways. Whether does it, do you need a title race to keep your kind of competitive edge going go for Champions League games so that you're not kind of, you know... I mean, it, it arguably happened with Bayern. I just don't Pep think. There. I think if you're with someone like Pep Guardiola in training every day, even though the Premier League looks won, they've mm. got enough still going on yeah. that they're going to stay sharp. You know, they've got the FA Cup, they've got the League Cup final, which is when three weeks time. That's twenty fifth February, yeah. and the Champions League. Mm. So what you have is is a manager who is a complete perfectionist, who obviously has the entire squad under his spell to an extent because of the way they're playing you can tell that there's something special going on there right that's yeah. fair to say mm. so I think they are in a pretty good zone mentally yeah obviously things can derail that if they get you know beaten at the last minute in the final of the what's it called mm. Carabao Cup or, yeah. or whatever if they get knocked out the FA Cup things can derail it but I, I just get the impression that they aren't going to lose that competitive edge because they all want to win so much yeah no, they, 
I mean, even back to what, like 99 Champions League team, United, by the time they get to the final, mm. is that the team that you wanted to start the game from? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah. you can't, you're not, it's, it's more about the club, isn't it? It's about yeah. kind of what the, the ethos behind the whole competition for the club. Because I don't know, I, I, I can't see Juve getting past Spurs. I, I really can't. Really? And yeah, I, I can't see them getting past them. They've I think, got a few injuries as well. Yeah, I, you know. think, I think Spurs uh, having to go to Wembley because, mm. you know, but essentially Spurs have, have, have got a few good results there. Yeah. Not, yeah recently. Big, big wins, like, uh, given how the season started. And it's yeah. 80,000 80, crowd there, mm. you know, cheering them I mean, they've done brilliantly there in the Champions League as well. So I think that that will be too much. I think it's a it's an opportunity for um, Spurs to go a lot further than you know than, than people expect yeah. them to. In fact, it's I was almost afraid of saying this, but I I, I think Spurs could be a very decent shout to win now because they they always come to form at this stage at this stage of the season. But also Pochettino, I mean, beyond everything just said about kind of you know making Wembley a home and getting yeah. good results there, Pochettino also has. A kind of a bit of a tactical variety. Like he's got so many different formations now that a lot of clubs don't. So he can switch it quite easily for any opposition. Um, and I, I think they're among the Bar City, maybe the best mm. equipped club to win it. Because, okay, well, Liverpool say if they're on it, they can be absolutely brilliant. I think they'll be more susceptible in Europe because they are so yeah. so open. That'll be a tough game for them, the, Paul. Yeah. The odds, the bookmakers are, of course, uh, they're not never wrong, but they're usually right. Um they have Tottenham as ninth most likely team really? behind Juve. Yeah, twenty-five to one is is their best price. Behind United, uh, I won't name bookmakers because um, I feel like they should pay for that. So um, <laughs> if you do, if you do want to sponsor us yeah. uh, and you're a bookmaker, then you know hit me up. Um, Tottenham twenty-five to one, Juve eighteen to one. Then it's Man United, Liverpool, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, PSG, and then Man City as as favourites. So even. PSG are favoured over Real Madrid, who obviously, I mean, that's probably fair enough given the season they've had. But this is Real Madrid in the Champions League. Yeah. I'd always take that. The, the relationship that club has with the Champions League is like mm. no one else. And in, uh, intimidation over over one match, just playing yeah. against them. It's it's unsettled everyone, isn't it? Atletico, you know, anyone yeah. that you think that should have been able to compete with them on a, on a one-off match. Uh, and we've seen it so often with big teams like Real, especially in the Champions League, where no matter what sort of season they're having, when it suddenly comes to that night... It's as if kind of there's that muscle memory, and the players are going to reawaken mm. just by the occasion. Um, and the players are good enough; yeah. <laughs> they, they, they <laughs> yeah. are that, that good. But there is this kind of malaise about them at the minute yeah. in the league. I think they just look a little bit, you know. It's it's it, when things aren't going well for them, they can throw their toys out the pram, mm. and then it results in this sort of kind of it's almost like a huff of results in the, yeah. in, the, in their own domestically. But you're right, Champions League just it, you know it changes the dynamic for them. Yeah. It's a good clash of. You know PSG, who can basically clown around in the French league now. You know, the literally one. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, Neymar yeah. balancing the ball on his shoulder or yeah. whatever he does, um, performing seal. And then Real Madrid, who who have had a pretty poor season. Zidane's job pretty much relies on this entire thing. Mm. And there's also the Real Madrid obsession now with with Neymar himself. This weird thing they've twisted themselves into that mm. he only went there as a way to get to Madrid, which is obviously. Uh, certainly not how most people have <laughs> seen it. It's almost like delusions of grandeur. Um, and we, uh, there isn't there isn't a club in the world, I suppose. And I suppose this comes from being the, team, the club that's won the European Cup the most. That is as obsessed with themselves as Real yeah, Madrid. No, that no, way. It's a complete self obsession <laughs> and delusion. Yeah, yeah. Like um, everything. Yeah. And, and Neymar is on the front pages of the Spanish papers mm. as much almost as he is anything else. And now it's this weird thing where like Barcelona, the Barcelona media, the Catalan mm. media, tries to paint him as this like kind of money grabbing uh, 
desperate yeah, joke yeah. of a player, basically. And Madrid tries to paint him as a, the guy who spurned Barcelona <laughs> because he really wants Madrid. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, look at this like incredible goal from Neymar. And like, you know, all the signs point to him playing for Madrid next season. It's like, well, do they actually? Mm. Because Qatar could buy you if they wanted to. <laughs> uh, so I, th- I think there is um, a lot going into it. You know, we've had even like two years ago when they met the Champions League, it was all about Cristiano Ronaldo who had flown to Paris yeah. in a private jet for talks with PSG about signing at the end of that season. It was this big thing. And Florentino and, and the president, Nasser Al-Khalifi, have kept very close friends. Yeah. They're very good relationships. Yeah, yeah and it's, but it's a weirdly close relationship. Yeah. But maybe they just both realise that each other are absolutely disgusting. Um, <laughs> is, that, is that libel? You <laughs> are, no, I think disgusting's not libel. It's fair comment. Yeah. And, you know, you asked me, you said to me, you said, do we think yeah. we should want PSG to lose this? Well, yeah, I mean, you touched on it there in terms of what, even things about Real Madrid. And the way Real Madrid conduct themselves, you know, I wouldn't sell them a virus, etc. Um, <laughs> it does rub people up the wrong way. But, in terms of kind of the quote-unquote morality of football and given what PSG, PSG are, I mean, and they're, they're, I think because I think they're even more naked about it than City. That City are trying to build a kind of a structure, whereas PSG is, is just kind of throwing money. Um, should we want PSG to fail? I mean... Brits, tell us about the morality of football. <laughs> the morality of football <laughs> from the lower reaches where they build the model up into uh, PSG. Uh, but, uh, I think the the romantic notion is, of course, we want them to fail. Of course, <laughs> that shouldn't be able to achieve. I think when you look at City, as you said, they've built a business model. They've tried to do it in a very business-like fashion. Behind the scenes, the people that they've they've appointed in terms of, you know, everything from communications to marketing to you know, yeah. it, it, all of that 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 structure, and then trying to create some sort of sustainable, yeah. but even though it's yeah, a I mean, disgustingly I mean, the, the, the massive sustainable I, I wouldn't be uh, so na- naive, I think ultimately the, the city thing is also about kind of Ab- Abu Dhabi and kind of, but at least, I can't believe I'm going to say this, I suppose, but, sorry, not least, but alongside that, they're, they're, they are trying to kind of, it's actually building a proper football model in that way, mm. whereas PSG does seem just much more, um, there's something much more ostentatious about it, and even that story we had in the summer that, PSG's whole plan for the transfer market was basically they realise in the long term that the only club that can probably compete with them financially are the two Manchester clubs. Mm. So the whole pl- one of the things behind the Neymar deal was to short squeeze the market basically to pay so, to flood the market with so much wages and money that only that no one could compete with them. Well, just blow uh, them away. The th- the thing that's bad even worse for football is the fact there's just zero trickle down. There's yeah. not that money doesn't go back into anything. That's yeah. when when we look at the TV deals, you, you at least look at it and go, well, that dis- that wealth's going to be distributed amongst even though it is amongst the elite of the Premier League, it's going to be distributed and that mm. money's going to be played back into those clubs. And you know if that's Huddersfield or Watford or t- teams that have worked really hard to get up there, then great. Yeah. Leicester, you know, but in terms of the Neymar deal, that money's where's that going to go? Yeah, you know, yeah. that money's not going to that, that's not going to be able to help any sort of local infrastructure or help any teams around Paris or there's there's nothing, you know. And, and they're double inflating the market as well because being sports, who are president, mm. who their president is the same president as the Paris Saint Germain president. Mm. I think I've just overused president. <laughs> they, um, you know, they are buying the TV rights at far greater sums than they were before. Yeah. Notionally, because Paris Saint-Germain is such a great retraction, not really, it's just another way of getting money yeah. into the system. You know, So they are completely artificially inflating this entire system around PSG. It's yeah. not just the mm. club, it's everything around them, You know, and all, all the sponsorships and stuff around them, uh, which are all very handy for mm. them. So, because the UEFA FFP rules are fairly strict, yeah. um, but there are different ways to 
could get around them. And I think Manchester City have got at least, and I think what they've decided to do and what they've developed is a very smart way of mm-hmm. running a, a sports mm-hmm. empire, basically. Yeah. PSG, for me, isn't that. It's a lot mm-hmm. of ways round certain regulations to, to build yeah. one well, club it, that it, can just do what they want. Even I was talking to someone the other day about a Courtois situation. And PSG are as interested actually in him as Real Madrid are. But even I think Courtois himself isn't, you know, he, he, I'm not sure he's too keen on PSG. But another side of that is that even if, even if he did seriously want to go to PSG, apparently the complications involved in going there are so high because before PSG even sign him, they have to try and get rid of about 10 players and they have to yeah, do yeah. every transfer. It's, it, there's always kind of hassle in that way. Well, but I think there's going to be great bargains available because, mm. you know, what they've done is they've done this, this classic thing, which is like the early Chelsea thing. Uh, mm. earlier Bramovich Chelsea mm. where you go and buy all these great players and then you've got all these discards basically mm. who you don't want and you'll sell for cheap yeah. but who are still really good Yeah, yeah. and, and PSG have got an excessive attacking midfield because they're incredibly talented and um, like the older guys like Pastore who could still certainly do a job and uh, Lo Celso who's mm. like one of the really talented young guys they bought in from Argentina but who can't get starts mm. because you've got, you've got Neymar and, and Mbappe and whoever ahead of him so someone is going to take advantage of that. I think Tottenham did to an extent with Lucas Moura because mm. I think that was a good value signing yeah. for what they got. But it's something to watch because at the end of the day, PSG are going to have to sell. And the clubs know they can go there with the kind of the smaller offers and yeah. they're probably going to get what they want. That, there'll always be that. Um, with the fact that the business model after that, there's a certain irony about financial fair play being punishable by a financial fine rather than <laughs> yeah, anything yeah, that yeah, could yeah. impact the football club. Because yeah. the irony is these these guys, these clubs don't care. Surely by getting more money in, exactly, it just yeah, covers yeah. the fine. Um, yeah. But the point you make about them being big squads, that's the beauty of the game, that Mbappe and players like that coming through at Monaco. All right, it was a long time in the making, but if you do invest properly in your youth and mm. do have some decent coaches, that production line is not going to stop. That's how you, that's how you well, can kind of beat the system. And actually, of being an efficient and a profitable club on that actually and it's interesting that, I mean, this is maybe another thing to criticise PSG with but there is now this discussion over where the most fertile ground for footballers in the world is the area around Paris and as far as I'm aware they haven't kind of well they, ha- they, ha- they haven't tried to maxim. I know there's all sorts of debates about the exact productivity of City's academy but at least the, the structures are there PSG they don't seem to be kind of really trying to they're yeah. a club in Paris, but not necessarily, I, th- I feel like, of Paris. Yeah. You know, Red Star, Paris, you were the, the ancient Paris club. Yeah. PSG only started in 1970. Mm. It's very much a... But even if you bring one of those lads through, yeah. even if you did have a local lad, what's the marketability of them? That's yeah, what it yeah. seems well, just to be. One of their local lads, they just lost to Man City because mm. the young players now don't see a path to the first team. Yeah. Claudio Gomez, who was supposed to be one of their best young players, 16-year-old, and his, his first professional contract will be at City at the end of the season. When I... Uh, in 2012, when I was just finishing up at Stockport, literally just finishing up, we were playing a resi game against Man City's youth team. Uh, Vieira brought a, uh, uh, his youth team to... It, was, it must have been their under-18s or something. Right. We were playing Stockport on Stanley Bridge Celtics ground, and I didn't. I touched the ball six times in the real <laughs> kickoffs. Yeah. Literally, we got beat 5-0 by this youth team, and they were phenomenal. I think there was a couple of Spanish kids that had won the World Cup, that won the under-17. Yeah. yeah, oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, yeah. They Just the way they passed the ball around, this pitch was all right. I mean, and we, we were a bunch of old pros. Kind of, well, there was half the team were old pros, half the team were young lads, just kind of trying to get some fitness. And uh, it was just seeing that team, I was like, my God, Man City are going to yeah. have some, some brilliant youth players come through. So when you don't see necessarily them come through directly, obviously, there's a lot. it's a lot more complicated than that having mm. the blood players but just not being able to see the track through for any of those yeah. young lads makes me wonder kind of as you say where these players are going to go and, and, and City are the ones that put the money into them
We should wrap this up soonish. Uh, what I'll do is I'll just whip through the Champions League. Round of 16, Basel versus Man City. You fancy City to get through that, yeah. right? You maybe Spurs. Okay, I'll go Spurs. You go Spurs. Rather. I fancy Spurs, I fancy yeah. I, I have to back my earlier comment. Um, Porto versus Liverpool. Liverpool with some difficulty. Yeah, mm. it won't be as easy as they think. Mm. Uh, Real Madrid, PSG, that's the one you're doing. Ooh. I'm going to say Real. Yeah, I'd say Real. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm going to go PSG. I just think... Real Madrid might be a little too rotten at the moment. Is there accountability? We're coming back to these answers next week. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah monetary no, fine. We, we Only if you're wrong. Appointed bookmaker. If you're right, I'll never get mentioned if, again. If, if more than fifty percent of my answers are wrong, we'll be getting, getting this expunged from the internet. Uh, <laughs> Chelsea v Barca. Copy <sighs> Barca, isn't it? Yeah. And is that the nail in the coffin one? It's <laughs> a, yeah. a great if, one if, to go if, on. If, if they go out, it's hard to see why they bother keeping. No, just, the only, if just give Hiddink another few. If they're still in top four, though, they. I get no. Of course, they got to yeah. get top four, but I think it, I think it's it's very awkward for him if they go out. Bayern Munich will beat Besiktas. I'm not going to ask you about that. Sevilla versus Man United. Sevilla joke at the moment, don't they? Mm, a bit of a disaster. Yeah, um, not great form. Mind you, you know, I know that Man United aren't playing as well as they could, but Mourinho and Shakhtar against Rome is the interesting kind of wild card. Well, in Rome, Rome actually, that's another thing about like everything you thought was true in December with the Champions League. Like Rome have fallen apart since mm. then. How oh, actually, they came back. They came back the weekend. How did Napoli get knocked out? Uh, it was in City's group. Shakhtar uh, got yeah. through ahead of them, and they came. They came to form quite strongly, but they didn't have enough. It's, mm. it's, it's a pity that actually. I watched them again at the weekend. Oh, yeah. Such a good did team you see, to did watch. You see the fourth goal. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, like, that was great. <laughs> that, uh, that's that's an exceptional team. You know, it would be interesting to see if if Sarri can do that anywhere else, um, or if kind of you go to a club where there's mm. perhaps not enough patience. Um, that's probably all we've got time for. So uh, the only thing I have time to do is to thank Grits for coming in, Martin Thanks Green. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure. Cheers, Hope Ed. you enjoyed your debut. Um, producer Matt Murphy in the corner. Thank you for, for all your work, bleeping out uh, Miguel's profanity. Uh, Miguel, uh, thank you for arriving only 14 minutes late today. It wasn't 14 minutes, 16 minutes late. Um, and, I, and I got coffees in. And thank you for the double macchiato. Um, otherwise, thank you for listening. As always, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, let us know what you think and uh, tell your friends how great we are. So until next week, when we'll have a little bit of Champions League review to go with our preview, goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.